How many of you are sitting with either, uh, you're sitting with a mother today? Your mother, your wife who's a mother, someone else, your mom who's a mother. Okay, great. It's <laughs> great. How many of you are, like, by saying, I'm sitting with them, you're sort of claiming a mother that's about three spots over? Yeah, that's good. That's good. That's good. Hey, uh, you know, every time Mother's and Father's Day come up, we always sort of have this dilemma. Do we talk right about that or do we just continue with what we're already doing? And uh, so today I'm going to sort of continue with, what, I'm gonna continue with what we're regularly doing, and that is going through our generation series. But the topic that I'm talking about today, hopefully um, it will be applicable to mothers and fathers and kids and families. Um, yeah. So it... If you've got a Bible, I'd invite you to, to turn to, actually, no, let's pause on that. Before we turn to he, Hebrews 12, let's get it up on the screen here. We'll, we'll read it together. We'll read it together. Hebrews chapter 12. There we go. Do you want to stand? Let's stand and read the scripture together, and then we'll sit for the commentary afterwards, okay? So let's read Hebrews chapter 12, verses 3 to 11. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his sons? It says, My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you. Because the Lord disciplines the one he loves, and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you are not disciplined, and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of spirits and live? They disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplined us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Thank you for reading with me this morning. Now, some of you are always saying, oh, we're going to talk about discipline, and we're going to talk about how the fathers do all the discipline. Mothers are like, awesome. I'm glad to be re you know, have that responsibility taken off my plate. Uh, well, this is not exactly the full measure of what we're going to talk about this morning, but I want to present to you that kids ask two questions about their homes, and the way those questions are answered by their parents' activity and uh, life uh, leads to the kind of home that they grow up in. And uh, the two questions that I believe that parents are, this is not original to me, actually it was a, a, a Briarcrest prof that I took a class with, who I'm drawing a blank on his name, but... Anyhow, he, he introduced this thought to me, and it's, I've shared on it here at Hillcrest before, but it, it has come back to me many, many times. Uh, the first question is, am I loved? Am I loved? 
And the second question is, am I in charge? Am I loved? And am I in charge? And now, those of you who can do math uh, quickly realize that if you've got two questions and each question has two answers, then you can get four different varieties of answers from these questions. So I'm going to just walk us through these four different answers and how they form the homes that we grew up in. And, uh, and you might recognize your, your home or some variety of your home as we go through these four answers. And, and we're going to talk about how uh, being loved and who's in charge are really important questions to answer. So let's start with the first one. Let's assume that your kids growing up wonder, am I loved? And they come up with the conclusion, um, no. And let's say they also come up with the, they ask the question, am I in charge? And they come up with the answer, no to that as well. Well, if they're not in charge, someone else is in charge, and I assume that's the parents, and so that means that there's rules in the house, which is a good thing, uh, but there's a lack of affection in the house. Now, I'm going to give these all really stereotypical titles, all these different four homes that we're going to talk about. It's very stereotypical titles. Don't take them too seriously. Um, probably you'll find little sim similarities between what you grew up in and, and what you experienced in some of these homes, but it's probably only slightly. I'm going to give you the extreme version, and then you've got to dial it back a little bit. I'll, hopefully, I'll help you dial it back. And then, uh, I definitely, on Mother's Day, don't want to send people home feeling a load of guilt for how they parent their children. Uh, we want this to be a gracious and wonderful Sunday for moms especially and for, for all of us together. But again, let's, let's walk through this matrix together. So know you're not loved and know you're not in charge. Uh, do we have a picture of a guy who might? Yes, there we go. Uh, I often wonder when I'm really giving it to my kids, you know, saying, you know, you, disciplining them and telling them what they need to do. I wonder if they imagine me looking a little bit like this, this gentleman here. Um, of course, we recognize Adolf Hitler, one of the most famous bad characters uh, in our, in our uh, last hundred years of history. Um, it's been said that rules without relationship leads to rebellion. And, and some homes do a really good job of, of de defining boundaries and, uh, and, and saying, you can do this, and you, but you can't do this. Or they, they really, kids really understand in this home where they stand. But if it's not a home full of affection and, and if there's not love there, um, there's, there's a couple ways that sort of we come out of this kind of atmosphere. The one is we become really good rule followers, Right? Because rules become the way, following rules becomes the way that we get approval. And so we take that to every relationship in life. And this is one of the ways you can come out. It's not the only way. But if, if there's no affection in the home, but, but there is uh, a sense of boundaries, well, then we, we go into the workplace and we know how to follow the rules. We do everything according to the letter of the law. We, we, we follow the law. But it doesn't necessarily mean we're tremendously happy inside. In fact, we search for happiness by pleasing others. We go over the top to follow the rules, to do everything according to the code or whatever the expectations are. We're always meeting or exceeding people's expectations because we think thereby we might have life. We might have love. So that's the one way you can come out of a home like that. But there's another way you can come out of that home like that, and I already mentioned it. Rules without relationship leads to rebellion. Some people... When they have rules, but they don't have relationship, they lead to the, they get to this point where they say, you know, I've had it. 
have had it with rules. And they become very rebellious. And they, instead, they just, uh, they're angry people who decide that they are not going to follow the rules. And they will never follow the rules. And uh, that's another way people can respond this way. Now, these aren't predetermined destinies for people, right? You can come out different ways. But these are some of the reactions that some people will have where, where in a home where they, they feel that they aren't loved, but parents are very authoritarian. Or, author, yeah, authoritarian. Let's look at some scriptures to help us uh, balance this out a little bit. Ephesians 6, 1 to 4. It says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord. Okay, so I, I noticed that uh, we've got a number of kids in here with us today who are, you know, children. We're all children. And as you live with your parents, you obey them. And as you get older, you still have an obligation to honor them. But here we will start with children. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so it may go well with you and so that you may enjoy long life on the earth. And then it flips the script to talk to parents. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Colossians 3.20 also has a very similar passage, another instruction for the family, and starts with that same uh, command to children. Colossians 3.20 to 21 says, Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Interesting how obedience to parents is tied in with our spiritual life, our connection to God. And then it goes on to say the follow-up line, fathers, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. So we get a little bit of a, a picture of uh, if you had a home where there wasn't a lot of love but there was a lot of rules and only rules, you can, imagine, you can see the results that it could have with children. One, children would be exas- exasperated, Right? exasperated Uh, and the other one is they would become embittered or discouraged right so here's three descriptions of things that can happen again when we only have rules and we don't have relationship now let's let's talk about disobedience for a second how important is it to learn to obey how important is that in the life of a child or the life of an adult or the life of all of us I remember I had a funny moment years ago well I don't know if it's a funny moment but I was the, the world's youngest school bus driver. Literally, this story is more than 20 years old. So I, that's when I was a school bus driver, more than 20 years ago. And uh, I was, the, nobody in the school, everyone in the school division who drove a school bus was like, uh, you know, probably 50 and up. And I was like, was I 21 or something like that? Anyhow. And uh, so I was just doing it on the side to make some money while I was, you know, working at the church up, up north. And... Uh, Anyhow, I had this one kid on my bus, and I was disciplining him. I said, you know, you've, you didn't, I asked you to stop hitting that person or whatever it was, so I'm asking you to come up and sit in this seat up here. And he like, came up, and then he began to complain because he had to sit close to the bus driver, and he started complaining. He said, how come I have to sit up here? And I said, well, because you weren't listening to me. I, I don't believe why I have to sit up I said, well, if you'd obeyed and what I said before, you wouldn't have had to sit up here. And that word triggered a whole new conversation. He said, obeyed? What am I, a dog? (laughs) And I thought, now that's fascinating because growing up in a Christian home with parents who quoted, children, obey your parents, for this is right, you know, to me, quite frequently, I just sort of came to adopt this word as a word that everybody used, but I realized that probably outside of the church, 
It's only used in the context of pets. And so I was like sort of taken aback and I was like, oh yeah, that is sort of strange, you know, this whole thing, concept about obeying. Or it would seem strange to somebody who didn't grow up being taught that obedience was something to strive towards, uh, to have in your life, that it might be a blessing in your life, that it might be a good thing in, in your life. So let me just talk about um, disobedience and how, uh, how the scriptures show us how bad it really is. <laughs> um, Romans 1, I'm going to be jumping to the, sorry, about, sorry to the tech guys, I'm going to jump way to the end of my scriptures for this. Romans 1, 28 uh, to 30 says this. It says, furthermore, they, this is talking about people who've disregarded God in their lives. It says, furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a depraved mind so that they do what ought not to be done. They become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. Oh, wow. Every kind of all this awful stuff. Well, well what's an example of, of this awfulness? It says they're full of envy. Yeah, that's awful. Murder. Wow. Strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossips. Well, that doesn't seem as bad, but maybe it should be. Slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. Okay, that's pretty, wow. They disobey their parents. <laughs> Everything seems so extreme, and then you get to the end, it's like they disobey their parents. It's like uh, in the times that, that this was written, it was like, you can imagine someone reading it and going, wow, oh, that's awful, that's terrible, that's, oh, I can't believe people will be so twisted with evil that they would disobey their parents. It's amazing that it shows up in this list like it's, it just fits. It sort of seems like in our culture we say, well, no big deal, but this was not a big deal uh, when it was written. Here, let me give you another list, 2 Timothy 3.2. It says, people will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, Boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, and unholy. Uh, the Bible doesn't paint a very complimentary picture of being disobedient. Uh, now, I think a big part of this is the home where we learn to obey is the training ground for learning to obey beyond the home, right? There are authorities in our lives that will come later on in our lives. Think of teachers and policemen and different people who, tell, who have authority in our lives to tell us what to do. Uh, they will come later on, but the, the home is sort of the incubator for learning to obey. Now, I've had fascinating conversations with, with um, families that have moved to Canada from Africa or Asia about how we don't discipline our children. <laughs> Very fascinating. Um, now, these are communal societies. You know, when we say it takes a village to raise a child, they mean it, and they do it. We don't. We say that. We culturally appropriate, and that's in the news, right? We culturally appropriate that statement for ourselves and think we know what it means, but it means something very different in their culture. Um, so I was talking with, with one family um, uh, from Africa or Asia, I've had different friends for different ones, but they, they're telling me this story, and they're saying that uh, in their country, if you don't discipline your child, anyone else in the community will. In fact, everyone else in the community is obligated to 
And not only will they discipline your child, but they'll bring your child back to you and you will receive the shame for the fact you didn't discipline them. So I said to them, well, that doesn't happen in Canada. I said, in Canada, what happens is if you don't discipline your child, maybe someday, and it seems like a long ways away, but maybe someday they'll get in trouble with the police. Because I don't think teachers really have as much sway as they, or ability to do what they used to be able to do in this area. And it doesn't seem like anyone else has much. So I said, eventually they might run into the, you know, the hard consequences of engagement with the police and their ability or inability to obey might lead them into a situation that's dangerous for them or costly or, uh, or negative. But I said, in Canada, if your kids don't obey, if they're not disciplined and they go out into the world, people might comment on it, but nobody else is going to discipline them. It really is only on us. We don't have a communal mindset. We're individualistic, right? And so it's very different. Uh, I think it must be fascinating for other cultures to come to our culture and sort of observe what we do and go, does that work? And for us, it's the same way, right? We look at their culture and say, does that work, right? You know, it's fascinating how we, we come to the same area in different ways. But disobedience... Uh, the Bible doesn't take lightly. It takes it as a very serious thing. So back to the types of homes. We talked about the first home, and we answered the question, no, you're not love, and no, you're not in charge. But let's go to the second question. What if the answer was affirmative in the both? What if you said, yes, you're loved, and yes, you're in charge? What would that home be like? I've got a little, I've got a little picture here. I mean, if the kid's in charge, that means you're not disciplining them, right? And who could discipline cute little Lindsay Lohan? (laughs) She is so adorable in The Parent Trap. How many of you have seen The Parent Trap movie? Uh, Have you seen the one with Lindsay Lohan? She is so cute. I know there's older versions. They're cute too. But she is so cute and so adorable in this movie. You just think, oh, she is just sunshine and roses. Two of her in this one. Anyhow, she's just wonderful. You could hardly imagine saying a cross word to her or, or disciplining her in any way. How many of you know that Lindsay Lohan grew up? <laughs> she did, didn't she? Interesting. A lot of parents feel trapped when it comes to disciplining their children. And I think the trap comes... Um, from some of our own backgrounds. Sometimes in our lives, there's a deficit of affirmation in our own lives. Where we're, um, when our kids come along, there's sort of a temptation that comes with them, and that is the temptation to make them the new source of our affirmation. And so hopefully, I'll have this wonderful, amazing relationship with my child that will feed in me my empty place, that will fill me in the spot where I really feel a vacancy or, or, or a void in my life. And that twists ever so slightly, but in a very real way, the way that we approach our children, right? Now, I, I can't just be a parent to my child. I need their love. And because I need their love, anything that would jeopardize the love that I need to get from them 
has got to go to the wayside, and that includes discipline, right? And that's why in some cases, not every case, some cases, kids are very much in charge of the home. In fact, a parental, the parent trap leads to a parental flip, whereas you have parents who have life experience and wisdom, and normally they are passing that on to their kids, and they're telling them, don't do this, and yes, do that, and if you do that, there'll be these consequences. Now, you have a parent who has life experience, but they also have this emptiness, and so they, it gets flipped where it's the parent who needs from the child. In fact, I run into the adult versions of these kids. Uh, some of them are some of my better friends, and I've chatted with them, and uh, they say, um, there's a reason why I moved 600 kilometers away from my mom and dad. Because I can't take it anymore. They need me so much, I just can't keep giving at the rate that they need me. And so the actual surprising thing about the parent trap is it actually doesn't work. It actually often uh, doesn't lead to a, holy, a healthy relationship where there's give and take and there's friendship. And that's what we all want. We want to be friends with our kids growing up. But our first priority is to be their parent. And usually if you take the priority on to be the parent, there's opportunity for a great friendship to result. But if you make it your priority that I must have from my kids what they can provide for me, you, there's a greater chance of it going the opposite way, not working. So the parent feels trapped by their own neediness. The kids feel trapped by their parents' neediness. And uh, sometimes the kids grow up to say things like, I didn't get to be a child. I need space from my parents. Sometimes it, it, it's really fearful parenting that comes into play. And I, I, I'm not, this is not a blame thing. This is just a real reality. Um, I had a phone call, this is way, way long ago, uh, years and years and years ago, a phone call from a mom, and she said, uh, I'm having trouble with my son. And I said, well, tell me what, what's going on. And she said, well, he's not doing what he's supposed to do. And I said, so what are you doing about it? And she said, well, I told him I'd, I'd take the TV out of his room if he, he didn't change what he's doing. I said, good for you. That's excellent. I said, I just want to affirm you in that area. That is really, really good. And then she said, yeah, yeah. So I said, so, what's, uh, what's happened since then? Well, I, I told him I'd take the TV out if he, if he did anything or did, didn't do what he's supposed to. I said, good, I, yeah, I already affirmed that. That's really good. So what's happened since then while well, he's not doing what he's supposed to? Okay, so what'd you do? I told him that I'd take the TV out of his room <laughs> if he didn't do what he's supposed to do. I said, okay, I think we've covered that already. But what have you done? Well, I told him that if he didn't do what he's supposed to do, I'd take the TV. I said, no, no. You need to take the TV out of his room. You need to quit threatening. You need to act. That TV has to come out of his room. Please move the TV out of his room. I'm like... <laughs> but a lot of times we get there as parents, don't we? I mean, it's a funny story, but we're all there sometimes too. It's like we, we threaten stuff and then we get busy or we forget or, or we get fearful. Will this threaten our relationship? And sometimes we don't follow through. It's, tr it's tough. It's hard. It's difficult. Bible, characters in the Bible had the same struggle. First Samuel. Samuel's a godly man. 
An amazing man. Remember, he was a child. He heard from God. He grew up to be a great leader. He watched, uh, he watched Eli, the priest. Um, he watched Eli, the priest, who was a good man, fail as a parent. And this is God's word that came to Samuel when he was a young child. He said, for I told him, I told Eli that I would judge his family because of the sin he knew about. His sons blasphemed God and he failed to restrain them. I don't know Eli's story fully. I don't know all the background. I don't know what he was like as, as a parent. But when, it came, when crunch time came and discipline needed to be administered to his boys, he, he failed. He stepped back. He abdicated his role. And he didn't discipline them. And then 1 Kings 1, 5 to 6. This is, um, this is uh, David. Okay? David, man after God's own heart. So many good things about David, lots of flaws too, but one of the flaws was in parenting. It says, now Adonijah, that's one of David's sons, the son of Haggith, exalted himself saying, I will be king. And he prepared for himself chariots and horsemen and 50 men to run before him. His father, David, had never at any time displeased him by asking, why have you done thus or so? Hear that word? Displeased. It must have been a barrier for David. It must have been a thing, I don't want to displease Adonijah. Even though he's doing something to totally disrupt the entire kingdom. His father never once challenged him with what he was doing. He never once displeased him. And sometimes that's where we are as parents, is that we need to have the courage to be able to displease our kids for their good and for the good of others. All right, let's go to Two more homes. Two more homes. Okay. Looking at my notes for home number three. Oh, there we go. Okay. So let's say, no, you're not loved, and yes, you are in charge. Will that combo do? Okay. This one, I think, is maybe one of the worst ones. Let's see if we can get a, a symbol for that. There we go. Okay. So no, you're not loved, and yes, you are in charge. Some homes, by virtue of all sorts of life circumstances, become like a game of survivor. Um, Really, families are meant to be the place where you're not alone, where you're together, where you stand together, where you encourage one another, where you have sort of skin-on-skin contact, where there's hugs and laughter and and there's... communicating, and there's fights, and there's arguments, and there's real life, and there's, and there's rubbing off the rough, the rough corners of ourselves. And, but sometimes our houses are too hectic for that. It's, we're just barely surviving. And I know there's lots of circumstances. I don't want to cast guilt where it doesn't belong, because lots of parents are like totally at their wits' end with the amount of activity they have to do in order to raise their kids. But when the child's saying you know what, I'm not feeling that physical effect, uh, connectedness. And then, at the same time, I've been given wide latitude to do whatever. It's really, it's really all up to me, isn't it? It's really everyone for themselves. And uh, out of these homes might come some very rugged individualists, ones who learn to survive you know, I'm a survivor, I'm going to make it, you know, you might get some of those coming out of these homes, Um, but there's a a broken relational pattern that often comes with it, because we're not meant to be so individualistic. I mean, Canadians are normally individualistic, 
But when you enhance that even more, it gets even, uh, we have more and more the repercussions of being too individualistic as people. Um, so you might, they might grow up to be responsible. They might grow up to be uh, ones who can carry great responsibility. But at the same time, there's that challenge of not having got the practice in the home that you normally get of relating to other people. And um, I want to, you know, I'm not sure what to call this. Sometimes it might be neglectful parenting, but I think sometimes the circumstances of life are conspiring against us. And the pressures, right? Think about all the pressures. Moms, you face this, I think, more than us guys do in a big way. You know what, guys, we sometimes sit back and we go, am I doing this fathering thing right? We might at times feel like probably not. But then there's other times we're like, yeah, I, I think it's working, right? And mostly it's working because we're partnered up with a mom who is scrutinizing every single detail. And she is making sure that all the plates are spinning. I'm not trying to be too, I don't want to stereotype too much because it can happen both ways. But I, what I do notice in my interaction uh, with moms is, is they are often questioning, are my kids getting good enough nutrition? Am I cooking healthy enough meals, well-balanced enough meals? Am I doing that? Whereas the dad is just like, what will microwave, right? You know, what can go in and out in the 15 minutes we have before soccer, right? And so it's just a different world, right? A different way of thinking. Or, or uh, is my house clean enough? I mean, honestly, um, I'll just tell you a quick story. So I... But I lived in a trailer on the edge of town in, in the northern Saskatchewan where I lived. I lived in a trailer in any town before I got married. And then I married my beautiful wife. And I'd lived there about four to six months, roughly. Was it longer? I don't know. Anyhow, somewhere around that time. And uh, she moved in and she said, where's the vacuum cleaner? I said, vacuum cleaner? I hadn't bothered to purchase a back, vacuum cleaner because it wasn't dirty enough. It only been four to six months, right? So... I realize now that a house can be cleaner than it, I thought it could be. It could be much cleaner. I didn't know that at the time. I thought it was quite clean. At, anyhow, she, she helped me see the light. Anyhow, but, but we're look, I think for a lot of moms, you're looking at this and this and this. Are my kids in enough activities? Boy, there's a new pressure that just keeps building, right? Did you put your toddlers in toddler swim lessons? Well, then they will never develop the same swimming ability that other kids will. It's just like this ridiculous pressure for your kid to do every single thing. And then where do you have the space in there to really just be a family? And I think this is one of the things that fuels this home where kids say, I don't feel connected. I have tons of choices in life. But there's... You know, other than this time we spend shuttling to and from events, I don't feel like we have, uh, we're, we're having what, what is needed, right? So sometimes parents, you need to, need to say, no, enough is enough, right? We're, we'll do this amount of events. We'll do this amount of extracurricular. We won't do more than that. Or in this season, we're going to change the game a bit, and we're going we're gonna to shuffle the calendar a little bit for a healthier schedule. Let's look at the last. Let's look at the last home. Okay, you say, oh man, I hope the last home is healthy. Uh, this last home says, the child says, yes, I am loved, and no, I'm not in charge. And do we have a picture for that? There we go. This mom looks like she's a little tense, 
but she's engaging. Look at that, eye-to-eye contact, having that disciplined moment with her child. I think she's doing it right, I don't know. Anyhow, the balanced home is what I'm going to call this, the balanced home, where love and discipline uh, coexist. Um, And it helps kids, sets kids up for success. Now, the thing is, to love well and to discipline well, both take effort. They both take effort. And it's a real challenge. Uh, and, and, and the game is always changing. Let me add that in. The game is always changing. Um, so when you start out and you've just got, like, newborns and toddlers, discipline is, is different at that stage than it is later, right? You know, I remember at that age, for us, we used, like, timeouts a lot, right? We had, uh, um, oh, come on, my brain. We call it the sin bin, but what do you call it? Plaything, whatever. Playpen, playpen. The sin bin was a better name. Anyhow, you can catch on. Sort of hockey, sort of spiritual, sin bin. Anyhow, so we would, you know, you, you got a one-year-old and you say, oh, you're misbehaving, we're going to put you in the, the, the sin bin for a timeout. You know, they always had a rule of thumb, what is it, one minute per year, one-year-old, one minute, you know, now they cry for one minute, come back, oh, that's okay, we still love you, whatever, and then two minutes for two-year-olds and three minutes for three-year-olds, 16-year-olds get a quarter of an hour, Um, no, just kidding, just kidding. This is what you use when your kids are small. You use because the walls are only so big. If you had a big one, you'd use it forever. Uh, but anyhow, and then you progress, right? I, I don't know. I'd be curious. I don't, I'm not going to take a survey because people get tense when you talk about discipline in the family. I, I was in a small group once, and we were in the, in the group, and it was sort of like, how many people spank their kids in the group? And like half the group did, and half the group didn't. And everyone there was very opinionated about it. <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay, wow. Uh, anyhow, so I didn't want to go too far in that. Now, but these are different, there's different things you can have in your discipline toolkit. So timeouts is one, spanking might be one. Uh, also, uh, withholding privileges might be one, right? And, and some of them are more age specific and age appropriate, right? So you might do timeouts at the beginning, spankings might fit somewhere in the, in the, the early years, and then Later on, it might just be, you know, the withdrawal of screen time, right? Because that's about all you have left after a few years, right? <laughs> or I will come to college and visit you and hang out with your friends. You know, threats. <laughs> Anyhow. <laughs> Anyhow. So we, we use these things and, and we progress through them. Uh, but they're, you know what they are? It's, it's taking every stage of life where disobedience has a chance to sort of entrench itself where a defiant spirit uh, is there in your kid and responding to it, right? Now, let me just quickly say, we're not responding to like foolish, like childish irresponsibility, right? So it's not like your kid is telling a fun story at the table and they knock over their juice because they gestured too widely, right? That's not the kind of thing where, it, you know, this is a big deal. That's just foolish irresponsibility. But it's those moments where they sort of lock eyes with you, and it's animal versus animal. You know that moment? Maybe you've never had that. But it's defiance, right? 
Who should be in charge when you disagree? Which way should this thing flip, right? If you're a parent, let me just encourage you, I think you should be in charge when you disagree, right? Lovingly, gently, carefully, winsomely, wisely, but you should be in charge. And so we do that. Okay, you're going for a timeout. Or you know, we're going to talk about this, or we're going to, you know, all these different disciplines, what we say. You know, we're going to meet that defiance because we don't want that to lead into something where they're going to get in trouble with all sorts of authorities in their lives, right? Again, in Canada, they're just going to be a pain to everyone until they go to prison. We don't want that for our kids. We want better. We want better. Let me give you a... I'll share a few verses here with you that just talk a little bit about that. I can find it real quick. Got my notes in it. Okay. It says Proverbs twenty-two fifteen. Now you might get thrown off by this because every one of them pretty much says use a rod, but that's that's not what I'm talking about. Fall unless you. Your name is Rod, then you could use it. Uh, Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline will drive it far away. So you've got foolish ideas in the heart of a child, right? I can run onto the street where the cars are. That's a foolish idea. That should be met with some resistance by a parent. I think we'd agree with that. Lots of foolish ideas in there, right? Even as you're growing up as in your teenage years, you've got foolish ideas. You've got, gleaned a lot of wisdom, a lot of the, you know, you look both ways for crossing the street, but you maybe uh, don't look both ways for getting into a relationship, right? So foolishness is there. That's why you've got parents to help you figure those things out. Proverbs 29, 15 says, A rod and a reprimand impart wisdom. Okay? This is not, it's not just about punishment. It's not just about, it's not revenge, for sure it's not revenge. That's not what parenting is about. I'm going to get back at that kid because they made my life difficult. It's, it's about uh, imparting wisdom, right? So they've got foolishness bound up in their heart. You want to show them that that path will lead to bad results. And you're going to speed up the consequences instead of saying, you know what, someday you're going to run into this police officer. You say, no, now you're going to run into this consequence. You're going to run into this uh, opposition to the, the, the foolish idea, the foolish action. Okay? A child left undisciplined disgraces its mother. Oh, there's a Mother's Day verse that we never quote. We won't. Proverbs, <laughs> Proverbs 19. Don't put that, you won't see that on a Hallmark card ever. Ever. <laughs> or in chocolate. It's like, oh, it's so sweet. Okay. Proverbs 19.18 says, Discipline your children, for in that there is hope. Wow, this is powerful. Do not be a willing party to their death. Discipline your children, for in that there is hope. Do not be a willing party to their death. You know, I found it, I don't want to stray too far into what is very political area, but I find it very interesting to hear uh, in the southern states, mostly black parents talking about how nervous they are with the police, which I, you know, okay, I'm not, I have nothing to say really about this other than to hear what they say. And what they say is they say, I sat down with my kids and I told them, if you get into this situation, here's how you comply, here's how you obey, here's how you listen, here's how you respond, here's how you stay safe. Okay? So whatever you think about the political climate, I'm not making any statement about that. But I find it very interesting to hear 
in the news, parents talking about how important it is to obey. And here's how you do it so you don't get into trouble. Now, there's lots of other areas of life where that's good advice as well. You get into this situation, here's how, uh, you know, you can, through obedience, through being smart, through being, uh, you know, being wise, you can keep yourself from a world of hurt. And I think those are the conversations that every parent uh, should have with their child. So the, the key in all this, again, is to bring some form of effective discipline when there's disobedience or defiance, but also to help them understand, to impart wisdom so that they get it, that this pattern of behavior leads to pain and suffering and possibly death. This other pattern that you're proposing that they, they choose leads to life, leads to health, leads to success. You want to impart wisdom. Don't get hung up on the rod part, especially if you're one of the ones who really isn't anti-spanking. Don't get hung up on that. It's the discipline that matters, is that we actually bring discipline into our homes. So let's, let's, let's ask the other question really quickly. Okay, because I've been talking about discipline. Um, if I was speaking in Africa or Asia, I might not talk about discipline as much. I've talked to those, some of those parents from those countries. And they say, well, but we do things strange. And I say, well, and probably we see what you do is strange. And it's just like maybe there's good from you and good from us. We could maybe get a, a model. If we blended it, it might be great. Uh, but what about the loving side of things? What about the loving side of things? What about being able to answer that question, am I loved, in the affirmative and with strength? First, I think a great example is to look at how God parents us. Psalm 103.13 says, He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities, for as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. Now here's the parenting part. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. It is just assumed all through the Bible. You'll see it again and again and again. They'll say, you know, like a father, they're compassionate with their kids. And everybody who's hearing this goes, oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, fathers are like that. They're compassionate with their kids. That tells us that fathers and mothers, we're called to be compassionate with our, for our kids. We're called to have compassion for them, to, have, to feel for them, empathy, sympathy, to feel their hurts. And that's how the Lord is. In fact, it's a funny, it's a very interesting thing. What happens is that God shows us how to be a parent. And when we imitate him as a parent, it gives our kids a picture and an understanding of how to relate well to God. In fact, um, my wife, she's got an amazing father well, my mother's amazing too, We're gonna, but, but it was her father that the conversation started about. I said, I said, your dad's a pretty amazing dad. I said, what does growing up with an amazing dad like your father, what has it done for you? And her response, again, I left it wide open. She said, well, you know, I'm more confident or happier, healthier, or I sleep good at night. or I don't know what she was going to say. What she said was, it makes it easier for me to relate to God. I thought, wow, that was their first answer. 
We weren't even talking about you know, spiritual topics. We are just saying, what does having a good dad do for you? It makes it easier to relate to God. And that's true. Our mothers and our fathers, they give us, as they parent us, they give us patterns of understanding of how God might be a parent. Right? And our hope is that we look at how God parents us and we replicate that. So that the view that they have is accurate. Now, I didn't say perfect, because that's impossible, right? In fact, one of the best ways to help them, because the view that you give is going to be a little bit skewed. If you, get, if you got depressed in this whole talk about the different homes, uh, don't be depressed. We're all in the same boat, right? We're not presenting a perfect picture of parenting. We're not. So one of the things that can really help with that is, it's very simple, ask your kids for forgiveness, when you don't do things right. Now, some people might say, whoa, no, no, I, I feel like I'm giving up the high ground. You know, I want to be the authoritative, strong person who always gets it right. You know what? Your kids already know. Well, they, they know by a certain age anyhow. If they're in the room here with you today, they know. They already know that you're not doing it perfectly. And so I'd encourage you to, to do this one habit in your relationships with your kids and that is ask them for forgiveness when you blow it. When you know you're not reproducing the picture of the heavenly parent like you should. It's okay to say, you know what? I wish I was more patient like God is. I wish I was more merciful like God is. I wish I was more, I, I was able to identify with other people's hurts like God does. I wish I was stronger in my setting up boundaries than God is and not so easily given, I, that I didn't give in so easily. I wish I persevered like God does. I wish I wasn't spiteful like I am sometimes. I wish I wasn't angry like I am sometimes. And will you forgive me? curious. How many of you, I, I guess, I, I think probably in the older generations I'm going to get less because I think this might be a new, I don't think it's a new thing, but it might not be, have been common, but how many of you can remember, and probably happened to you, but not remember, how many of you remember a time when your mom and your dad apologized to you for something? How many can remember that? Just, just rack your brain, you're thinking through, you're going through teenage years, childhood years, but you remember that, okay. Some of you remember that. You know, that had a huge impact on me, the times where my parents would say, I'm sorry. And you know what I realized later on when I processed it? I realized that some of the times they apologized to me, I had done more wrong in that scenario than they had. Now, that didn't come to me right away. It was processing. Eventually, I came. Because <laughs> right, I'm always, always right growing up. I was always right. I still have a problem with that. Anyhow, uh, so... But I realized later on, they had apologized for something they had done, and really what they had done was maybe only one-tenth of the problem, and I was nine-tenths of the problem. And I thought, how, how amazing it was uh, to receive an apology from my parents or to ask, and for them to ask me for forgiveness and for me to realize that even though they weren't a perfect picture of God, uh, they were a picture of what it looks like when sinners saved by grace begin to follow 
this amazing God. A little bit more about God's parenting. Isaiah 49, 15 says this, Can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born? Though she may forget, and we, again, we say, how could she forget, right? I will not forget you. So when you think about a mother's love for her child, and on Mother's Day, we think about that a lot. Think about all that they've done for us, all the sacrifices, uh, all the care and concern, and, and all, all of those things. We, when we look at that, we look at all that our mothers have done for us, God says, I, I want you to think about that. Think about that love. And then... Remember, I won't forget you. When your mother loves you well, she is, she is imaging me. She is imaging me. So as a result of God being like a father who has compassion on his children, being like a mother who will never forget her child and has compassion on the child that she has born, how do we live as his followers? Let me give you a few verses. And these aren't particularly talking about parenting. These are talking about how we live even in relationship with each other. 1 Thessalonians 2, 7b says, just as, an, just as a nursing mother cares for her children, hear the echoes of the other scripture, so we cared for you because we loved you so much. We were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. So this is a leader speaking to people who he's poured his life into. He says, you know what? You want to know what it was like to engage with you? He says, you got to look to parenting. That's, that's, that parenting that, that, that is an image of what God parent, how God parents, that's the only thing I can point to, the depth of the love that we have for you. Uh, we cared for you uh, and loved you that much. First Thessalonians 2, 11, 12, this is just a few verses later in the chapter, it says, for you know, he's speaking to them, we know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children. How does a father deal with his own children? Let's read. Encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. Encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. Wow. So God has given us this incredible uh, incredible, incredible role to play in the lives of our kids if you're a parent. Now, I realize that today, because it's Mother's Day, lots of people in the room who are not parents, but you all had a parent. And so I want to uh, take some time here at the end. Um, I want to take some time here at the end, and I want us to switch, because here's, here's, here's something I want to guard against I really want to guard against um, ending on a note where people go out and think about how their upbringing wasn't any good. Okay? That's what I want to guard against. And the only way I know to guard against that is through the exercise of gratitude. That's really the only exercise. That's actually what today is about, exercising gratitude. So that's the only thing I know how to do in order to not end on that note. So we've talked about discipline. we talked about what kind of homes... We, we've, we want to have. We talked about taking the time and making the effort to discipline and that maybe some other things are going to have to fall by the wayside in order to do that, right? How many of you ever saw the show Super Nanny? Super Nanny? Anyone watch Super Nanny? Okay, it's like British show. I think there might be an American version now, but it's like they do timeouts like 
like they find, these are kids who never had timeouts when they were little, so now they have timeouts when they're like 10, right? And so then Super Nanny comes into the home and sees that everything's in disarray and she's going to fix it. And there's the, always the scene where it's like the endless timeout. So it's like there's a, they put a circle on the floor, the timeout circle, and they say, okay, you've been bad, you're sitting on the circle. And then they go away, and the kid gets up and walks away. And Super Nanny, who's a pretty strong-looking woman, comes after the child, <laughs> takes the child, and puts them back on the circle. <laughs> oh, my goodness. 10 minutes, 20 minutes, half hour, 45 minutes. Of course, we don't watch it all because we just get the highlights. It's just like an endurance thing. It's like Super Nanny is sweating, and she keeps dragging this kid back to the spot. It's just like this battle of wills, and you're just like, oh, my goodness. Is she going to win or is she going to lose? But she always wins at least in the episodes we see. Anyhow, she always wins. <laughs> I find it amazing just to watch. And every time I watched it, I thought, parenting. Wow, not for cowards, right? It's a challenge. It's a challenge to keep coming back to that spot and go, okay, no, we're going to try again. <laughs> and I'm going to do this all day. All day, baby. I'm going to do this all day with you until we get to that, to that final goal. So I'm going to pray for you. We're going to end this segment, and then we're going to move into gratitude. Okay? Okay? And I'll lead you through an exercise in that. Okay, so let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for your instructions in your word. Uh, I want to thank you for the roles that we get to play, whether we're parents with our own children or whether you've called us, like the scriptures we read, you've called us to be like mothers and fathers in our interactions with other people and that you're calling us to a deep sense of compassion and a deep sense of responsibility. And Lord, I thank you for the, that, uh, that we aren't just left in our silos of Canadian individualism, but your word calls us out of that. It calls us into a deeper engagement, a deeper connection with each other. And uh, Lord, I thank you that you'll give us the strength to go into that. Yeah. So Lord, let us bless well as we end. We ask that in your name. Amen. All right. So this is the exercise I want to end with. I want us to take some time and talk about how grateful we are for our mothers. Why we're grateful for our mothers. What things in particular we are with, grateful with mothers. So we're going to do two ways. First thing I'm going to get you to do is I'm going to get you to turn towards the people around you. You might be sitting with your mother. You might be sitting with your wife. You might not be. I want you to take a moment, and I'm putting you on the spot, so don't expect amazing answers at this point. Just sort of run of the mill, you know, probably lower than average, but you might have a few surprises. Um, and I want you to talk about what you appreciate. If you're with the mother, you can tell them what you appreciate about them. Okay, I know you're putting you on the spot, so that's tough. But also, you can talk about what you appreciate about your own mother, who may not be here. Okay? Right? So, we'll take some time and do that, and then I'm going to invite feedback from the front, and we're going to get some of the best feedback from you guys and celebrate our mothers. Okay?